Romans 9, verses 30 through 33. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Father in heaven, I pray now that you would draw near and help me to unfold these words. I pray that I would be faithful to your inspired apostles' meaning. And I pray that right affections would accompany right thinking. And I pray for the transformation of lives. I pray especially for those who have not been seeking or pursuing righteousness, that this morning, wonder of wonders, they would attain righteousness. So come, Father, be our teacher. Through Christ I pray, amen. The situation in view here in these verses is... The one we saw last week, Paul's situation in his day, it's very much like our situation in our day. It's found in verse 24, where God is calling from Jews, some Jews and some Gentiles, into his saving sphere, into his work, into his people. And the issue Paul is faced with here is that only some Jews are being called. Verse 3, rather than coming, they are accursed and cut off from Christ, and therefore the problem is being raised as to why it is that so few Jews are included in the people of God, and why now the doors have been flung wide to the Gentiles. What is it? that has brought this strange turn of affairs about. And Paul gives two answers. And we've been talking about the first one for the last 12 weeks or so. In verses 6 through 29 of Romans 9, you get the first answer as to why only a few in the corporate Israel are included in true Israel. The answer is, God has only chosen to overcome the blindness and the rebellion of a few. God isn't obliged to save any, and you see in verse 8, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise are reckoned as offspring. There's a reckoning going on here. You take the whole and the children of promise within the totality of Israel are reckoned to be offspring. Now, why is he doing it that way? 
Verse 11 says, in order that the purpose of God, according to election, not according to works, but according to him who calls, might stand. The first answer as to why there are some Jews and Gentiles, but not the corporate Israel, is election. That's the first answer. The election of God. Second answer. When we get to verse 30, a new answer is given. A different answer is given that is in perfect harmony with the other one, but different as to why many Gentiles and only some Jews are included in the true Israel and why Israel as a whole is not Included. Why? Let's read verses 30 and 31. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness. Even the righteousness which is by faith. That's why they're included. Verse 31. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness did not arrive at that law, and that's why they're not included. Now, let's pause here and get very clear something massively important and very obvious. There are two reasons why anyone gets saved. One, God has chosen them. And called them effectually to himself. That's what we've been talking about in Romans 9 all these many weeks. And now, secondly, a very familiar answer from Romans 1 to 8. You must attain righteousness. First you are chosen, and then... You must attain righteousness. Let's read verse 30 again so that you see it. Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. So Bethlehem, let's keep these two things together. So let's separate these two things out. Election, unconditionally, and righteousness, attained. These two things are necessary to be a part of the people of God. These two things must happen in order to be saved, to escape wrath, to enjoy God's everlasting favor. When God chooses unconditionally an unworthy sinner like me, or you, when God chooses us to be saved from wrath and made a child of God and given everlasting joy, he cannot simply bring us into his fellowship because we're not righteous. He can't just elect us. Say, good, now you're elect, you're chosen, you're therefore saved. Welcome into my fellowship. We would be incinerated in a moment in our unrighteousness, in God's holy presence. God hates sin. 
His righteousness blazes out against every form of unrighteousness. Any manner of imperfection may not stand in the presence of God's holiness. The only persons who stand before God are perfectly righteous persons. Which creates a problem. There aren't any. Except one. Remember Romans 3, 9? Both Jews and Greeks are under sin. That's Paul's way of saying everybody. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. So the reality of God's unconditional election will save nobody. It is not adequate. You get the doctrine of election nailed down, good. That saves nobody. Elect sinners will be destroyed in the presence of God. There must be a righteousness, a perfect righteousness, if anyone is to stand in the presence of God. We must attain, as verse 30 says, we must attain righteousness. Not a very likely achievement for people like us. Therefore, therefore, God sent his only son into the world as a sin-bearing, spotless, blameless, blemishless Lamb of God to become for us our righteousness. For many, he became a stumbling block. For some in this room and downtown, Jesus has been till now a stumbling block. You have seen him his claims, his offers, and instead of embracing them and standing on them, you've stumbled over him, and he has become an offense to you to be rejected like a stone rather than built upon like a foundation. And for others, he has become the very righteousness of God. Look at chapter 10, verse 4. I'm going to jump ahead here. There aren't any chapter divisions in the original. There aren't any verse divisions in the original. And therefore, sometimes we stop too soon. And the key verse that we're looking for to understand the verses we're working on are in the next chapter when there was no chapter. And so I'm going to push you forward because verse 4 of chapter 10 is all important for understanding today's verses. And I'm going to give you a very literal rendering. It's my rendering. The goal or the end of the law is Christ for righteousness for everyone who believes. The goal of the law or the end of the law is Christ for righteousness for everyone who believes. I will come back to that in the next few minutes again and again and again. It's the key that unlocks today's 
text. So, no one is righteous. No, not one is righteous. Except Christ. The perfect Christ, the sinless Christ. And so Paul says, the goal of the law is Christ for righteousness for everyone who believes. So we need to ask, which is what our text beckons us to ask today, what does the law teach about the way of salvation? What does the law teach about the required righteousness without which none of us will be saved? It teaches two things. Number one, the, the law teaches first, you should trust and obey God perfectly if you would be righteous. You do that, you will stand before God righteous and acceptable. And no redeemer will be necessary. The law says trust God and his grace and obey God in that faith perfectly. And you will have a righteousness that will count with God. The law calls you to that. And nobody has ever or will ever perform such an obedience of faith except one person, Jesus. God knew that when he gave the law. God knew that when he gave the law, which is why the law has another message besides that one. The second message of the law is, since you cannot, as a fallen person in Adam... The Old Testament teaches very plainly, there is none righteous. Since you cannot fulfill the demand of the law for a perfect obedience of faith, look through the blemish-free lambs to the long-term goal and end of the law Look to the final blemish-free Lamb of God offered in your place. Look to Christ for righteousness. Because, as verse 4 says, that is the goal of the law. That is the long-term, ultimate, big-picture purpose of the law. The law says, let your faith be not merely the upward glance of the heart to grace to enable you to do the commandments, which will never suffice because of how imperfect our faith and our obedience are. He says, the Old Testament says, let your faith not only look up to grace for the enabling to keep the commandments, which will never suffice. 
The law says, let your faith also reach up and out to the big purpose of the law, to our Redeemer, Christ for righteousness. Because all of your faith and all of your obedience are imperfect. And therefore, no obedience of faith will ever suffice to be a righteousness that counts with God as our justification. Christ for righteousness to everyone who believes. Listen to the way Paul puts it back in chapter 3. We need review. Back in chapter 3, verse 19. What the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law in order that every mouth might be stopped and the whole world held accountable before God. So there's one message of the law. The whole law is written so that our mouths will be stopped. Why? Because all our faith and all our obedience are imperfect and will never suffice. There is none righteous. And then it goes on. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight because through the law comes the knowledge of sin. You try to trust God and obey God as the ground of your righteousness, you will discover very quickly sin abounds and you will despair that the obedience of faith could ever provide a foundation for your acceptance with God. And therefore... The text continues. I'm at verse 21 of chapter 3 now. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Though it is witnessed to, this is the big picture of the law, though it is witnessed to by the law and the prophets, that is a righteousness through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. Now that is the gospel. That is the good news for sinners like us whose faith is imperfect, whose obedience is imperfect, and who must be perfect before an all-holy God. Now there is a righteousness revealed apart from the law and law-keeping who is Christ for righteousness for everyone who believes. In fact, the parallel between verse 22 of chapter 3 and verse 4 of chapter 10 is most remarkable in that little phrase, for everyone who believes, for all who believes. A righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe. Christ for righteousness for everyone who believes. That's not an accident. The righteousness of God that we must have is Christ for righteousness for everyone who believes. Unconditional election, the first answer that Paul gave as to why some Jews are believing and many Gentiles, but not the totality of Israel. Unconditional election saves nobody. 
We must attain righteousness. How? By faith in Jesus Christ. Christ for righteousness to all who believe. Now back to verse 30 of chapter 9. Why are the Gentiles being saved when they didn't even seek righteousness? What then shall we say? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is through faith. (laughs) This is really good news because you don't even have to know there is a law. If you know the goal of the law, Christ for righteousness, these Gentiles just going through life oblivious to the righteous demands of God, not giving a rip about bringing their lives into conformity to God's holy law, not even knowing it exists. They're in Thessalonica and Philippi and Berea and Athens and Corinth, and here comes Paul preaching Christ crucified and risen, and they get saved. And in that salvation, receive righteousness that the law was calling for all along, namely Christ. Their righteousness. That's good news. That is really good news. What about Israel? Verse 31. Why? What's going on here? Why hasn't Israel made it? Verse 31. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Verse 32. Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were By works, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. Who's that? What's that? It's Christ. Verse 33. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and he who believes on him will not be disappointed. Believing in Christ, the stone... And not stumbling over him, believing in him, embracing him, is the key to verse 32. And what faith is all about there. Verse 32 says, they didn't believe him, they stumbled over him. And that's why the Jews as a whole are not included. They stumbled over the Messiah. He came He offered perfect righteousness and forgiveness, and instead of embracing and trusting a righteousness not their own, verse 33 says they want to go on working out their own righteousness, to stand on what they do, even by faith. And it won't ever work. It's not adequate. They stumble. They did not believe They didn't see Christ as the goal of the law. They missed the point of the law. 
The law was saying in its larger, long-term message, you must look beyond the law for perfect righteousness to be provided by God. You must look beyond your obedience, your obedience of faith. You must look beyond your obedience of faith to the goal of the demand for perfect obedience of faith, namely Christ for righteousness for all who believe. And the Jews didn't do it, and they stumbled. Verse 31 has in mind this kind of believing, and they didn't do it. Why? Why? It says, because they pursued the law as though it were by works. That is, they pursued the law as though it taught they could really be justified by law-keeping. As though it really taught they could be justified by the obedience of faith. They pursued the law as though it didn't bring the knowledge of sin, as though it didn't shut everyone's mouth when they tried to live up to God's standards by faith, as though it didn't make everyone guilty before God and put us utterly in dependence upon the righteousness of another. They didn't pursue the law like that. They totally made hash out of the law's aim to bring them to Christ and a dependence on Christ for righteousness to everyone who believes. Once you learn from the law that no one will be declared righteous on the basis of faith-based law-keeping, then you know that the perfect righteousness that the law demands must be looked for in another and not in yourself. It must be pursued as a gift and not as something you perform. A gift to be received by faith. So Bethlehem, let us learn from Israel's mistake. Let us learn from Israel's mistake. Why didn't they arrive at the law, the goal of the law, the righteousness that the law required? Because they did not pursue it by faith in the Redeemer, in Christ for righteousness. Let's pray. So, Lord, if any unbelievers came into the room this morning, or perhaps people who thought they were believers but never heard this gospel, that they need an alien righteousness, the righteousness of another, Jesus Christ, if any came into the rooms like that, would you save them? Would you open the eyes of their hearts to see Christ as true and beautiful and compelling and infinitely worthy of their trust? And would you impute to them his righteousness so that now they would have a standing with you that is safe and secure, not rooted in their own performances, but rooted in Christ's perfect life and death.
on their behalf. Would you come and meet us and satisfy our souls with Christ for righteousness? In his name I pray. Amen.